0: Good morning, church, before you take a seat, uh, I just want to invite you to turn to someone nearby and let's welcome each other and uh, say a quick good morning. All right. Well, good morning, church. Uh, welcome to Lakeview Community Church. For those of you who are here with us for the first time today um, and for our, uh, our, our our streaming congregation of those who didn't make it out here physically but are joining us online, uh, welcome to you as well. If you're here for the first time this morning, a special welcome. Um, if you need any more information, you should have got a bulletin on the way in. It's got a few... Um, A little bit of information about what's going on in the life of our church in the uh, days and weeks ahead. Um, If you'd like any more information, you can fill out one of the connection cards. They're out there and... um We'll be happy to, to give you any any information you need. Um, we are now in, I guess we finished our second week of life groups for the, the winter semester, and those seem to be going really well. You should have got an intersect on the way in. That is the uh, fill-in-the-blanks outline with discussion questions for just what's going on in the week's, uh, in, in the weeks um, life group ahead. Um, and I uh, also want to let you know that we are having uh, this coming Friday and Saturday, a uh, soulmates for life uh, marriage workshop. Uh, my wife Diane and I are are leading that. Not because we are experts in marriage, uh, but we've had a few years of uh, practice at this, and uh, we actually got trained in this uh, format that is really helpful. And um, one of the re- one of the main reasons we we continue to do this is uh, it helps us to go back to the basics and, and get back to some foundations. So if you, uh, if you, are, if you have a great marriage and, and, and your marriage can take a step better, then this is for you. Um, all of us, I think in all of our relationships, we can look and say, hey, there's progress, there's opportunity for growth. And so, uh, so if you fall into that category, uh, you're welcome to attend. There's more information about that on the welcome desk. And the deadline to sign up is uh, Wednesday because there is about 20 minutes of um, pre-workshop assignment work. So uh, if you could if you could sign up by then, uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, today also marks the end of our uh, January 21 day fast. So congratulations to all of you who have been participating in that. You made it to the end, or. Maybe you made it somewhere near the end. You just kind of, you know, stumbling into the finish line, whatever it is. I hope it's been a, a really good time um, of just a spiritual focus, of recentering our lives around the Lord. Um, that was our January focus. February, we are moving into like a relationship focus. Um, March will be a focus on serving. And so uh, we're going to just have a lot of things going on. But it is January. It is another snowy Sunday morning. And I don't know about you, but it feels like this year has just been like pushing a weight uphill. <laughs> and, and I am really hoping that uh, February is is a little bit uh, less challenging in that way, but uh, it's really good to be here. I am so glad you made it. Let's just, um, let's just pray together as we open up God's word this morning. Lord, thank you for, uh, for, for all that you are doing, for the ways that you are at work, um, Lord, we thank you for the snow and, and the cold weather and, and, and just the chance to have some, some, some warm buildings start to be able to, uh, to just be in and to, and Lord, for the warmth of fellowship that's here this morning, uh, we just pray, Lord, as we open up your word, would you open up our hearts? We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. You know, um, every story has a script, um, the actors who are playing the parts in any given story are told, follow the script. Don't make it up as you go along, just follow uh, the script. However, uh, we also know um, that, that historically some of the best scenes have, have been those scenes that have happened when the actor's didn't go by the script, and they went off the script. And so I I looked for a few examples. Uh, most of them are kind of dated, so you've got to be about my age or older to relate to most of these. Um, but uh, apparently Dr. Spock's Vulcan Grip, if you remember any Star Trekkers here, I'm, I can't say that I am, but uh, I found out that that was not part of the script, and it is now like, you know, Movie genius uh, kinds of stuff. Um, Fonzarelli from uh, Happy Days. When he went up to the mirror, he took his comb out and he was going to fix his hair. But then he saw his hair was perfect, so he put the comb back in his pocket. Another legendary line in uh, cinematic history. That was an off-script scene. Uh, And just about every uh, gem that has come out of Bill Murray's mouth has been off script, not a part of the script, and so there 's some really good stuff uh, that happens you know there's a there 's a script to every story and and there's a there 's a script to every life and there are assumptions um, that we live by that we 're told we 're given a a narrative and said this is the way your life is supposed to proceed, and so you know some of those things are like uh, go to school, get an education, um, start a family, make lots of money, get lots of stuff, make the most of your life, do everything you want to do, be fulfilled. Um, Make yourself the center of your existence and what you want to do. And uh, what we're going to find out this morning is that Jesus kind of comes along and he just flips the script. He, He invites us to a Different script to something better uh, deeper and, and and greater than anything that uh, that we could find without him we 've been in a series since the since this fall uh, we 're looking through the gospel of Mark uh, the series is called the journey and we 've just been on this journey of discovering who is Jesus, what is he all about, and what does he want from from our lives. And a lot of this uh, is following his his first followers, his disciples, as they struggle and wrestle through understanding what does it mean to follow this guy. And so, uh, and so we're going to continue on that uh, this morning. We are in Mark chapter 9, and uh, we're going to see how, how Jesus takes the script that the disciples were living in Living by, and, and he just flips it around and turns it into something totally different. So, if you have a Bible, um, open it up to Mark chapter nine, and I'm going to just uh, read. It's also right on the screen behind me, and it says this: "And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, and the them is the disciples, what were you discussing on the way? But the disciples kept silent, for on the way he had they had argued with one another about who was the greatest." And he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives such a child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, this is one of those teachable moments. Um, And it's interesting that how this teachable moment came about, it was birthed out of another argument. And uh, there's a bit of a trend uh, to this. If you were with us last week, you may remember that the the disciples back then, they were arguing with the religious leaders. And here we we are in the next scene and they're at it again. And this time they're arguing with each other. And uh, this was a rough group of guys. These were some brawlers, uh, easily instigated. But you might expect that if these guys are are locked in some kind of conflict here, it's got to be over something that's really important, like probably over some kind of deep doctrinal truth, something foundational to the Christian faith. But that's not the case. They are feuding over which one is the best. Who's the greatest amongst us? And, and you can just imagine each one of them is making the case. Here is the reason why I'm better than you. What, what a mature group of guys. Um, and you can just picture like Peter, the disciple Peter, say, hey, hey guys, I'm pretty sure I'm the greatest here. Um, after all, Need I remind you that I am forever the one who got Jesus right. Do you remember? It was me who said those words, you are the Christ. Now, the rest of you guys, you may have been thinking, but I said it. I'm the best. And then you can picture to that, John just, you know, kind of jumps in and says, sorry, Peter. I don't think so. Need I remind you that you're also the one that Jesus called Satan, I think that automatically disqualifies you from the conversation of being the greatest. Um, Keep that conversation in mind Uh, next time you hear or next time you're engaged in an an argument, um, whether it be on the job or with a family member or even in a church setting, because here's the reality. We all have an incredible capacity to argue over the most absurd things right? Right? Just think about your past week. And, and, and here's the kicker. Doing life with Jesus, when you follow Jesus, it doesn't automatically change things. You've noticed that, right? You know that. Um, thank God, though, that, that, that Jesus is able to meet us in our absurdities and turn our most ridiculous moments into teachable moments, That's what he does here. Jesus has to sit down. He says, okay, school is in session. Let's talk this through. And it's worth noting that he doesn't doesn't take issue with their desire to be the greatest. He doesn't take issue with their desire to pursue greatness. What he takes issue with is, is their idea of what greatness is. What does it mean to be great? What does true greatness look like? What makes someone great? According to the script, the script equates greatness with stature. Greatness is the prize that you claim for reaching the top. Once you've gotten above the crowd, above everyone else, and, and conventional ideas of greatness all boil down to things like power and prestige and privilege and, and popularity. That's what matters. In, in our world, uh, you know we might not say greatness, but we might say significance. This is why I matter. This is why I'm valued. Because because of my job accomplishments. Because of the life that I've made for myself. Because I'm an authority on a particular subject. I, I know more than everyone else. Or I matter because I know people. I have connections. I have a network of people who can make things happen for me. I'm important. I'm the best because I'm educated, or I'm athletic, or I'm attractive, or I'm charming, or I'm a social influencer. The the list is just goes on and on. You know, the disciples, they've been they've been spending time with this Jesus guy who was sort of like a first century rock star, right? He was a celebrity. Crowds came to him, doors opened for him. He had so much power, he had the popularity. And it seems as though the disciples are getting a taste of some of that, and it's going to their heads, right? And so Jesus comes and he's, he says, I'm going to flip the script. This is not what it's about. Now, now, don't get the wrong idea. What he's not saying here is that there's anything wrong with any of these things, like being popular or educated or, or successful or any of that. It's just that... Um, they're not the right yardstick by which we can measure greatness by. That's the point. Reaching the top, being above everyone else, being the one who's able to call the shots, that is not a measurement of greatness. True greatness, according to Jesus, is measured by one singular attribute, serving, serving. It's not measured by by how, we, how high we can get, it's measured by how low we're willing to go. That's taken this script and it's flipping it completely. It's all about orienting our lives around serving others in an unconditional way. You know, um, there's a Stanford uh, school study, several studies actually, this is just one of them, that, that contrasted two pursuits in life. One is the pursuit of Happiness getting what I want, reaching all my goals with a focus on self. And what they found is that when that becomes the carrot at the end of the stick, that it leads to greater stress and greater anxiety. So they contrasted that with the pursuit of meaning, which they understood is largely found outside of oneself. It's largely found in serving others. And that pursuit they found, um, which is no surprise, it leads to a life of greater sense of fulfillment and purpose. Isn't it always great when the research studies start catching up to biblical principles, right? Um, Servant, servant of all. A servant is someone with a disposition that wants to help. It's coming into every situation, not orientated around, what can I get out of this? But what can I give? Not how can I get you to help me with what I wanna do, but how can I somehow, some way help you? What can I do that might benefit and build those up that I'm rubbing shoulders with on a daily basis? And, And the thrust of this teaching is the unconditional nature of serving. Jesus says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all you see servants by definition they they don't select where they serve or who they serve right the servant by definition is willing to serve whoever and wherever the need may be that that's what a true servant's heart looks like and so to illustrate this point to get this across to his thick-headed disciples Jesus looks around the room and he finds a child. He picks the child up, he takes him in his arms and he says, guys, this, this is what it's about. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. That's, that's a profound statement right there. That, that statement, I gotta tell you, that has been echoing in my heart all week long. Jesus intentionally grabs the most insignificant, overlooked, off-the-radar screen person he can find. He says, this is what it's about. It's about serving people like this. It's about being willing to go low. And when we go low, we find that there are people there, overlooked people, who we can help lift up. That's what that child represents. And allow me just to make this point, if, if, there, if there's any stay-at-home moms here or stay-at-home dads here and you're in the trenches and you're living out what Jesus illustrated right here, receiving your children, doing that thankless work day in and day out, uh, please hear this. Jesus says you're great. He says that is a great task and and, and you may need to hear that because you're not likely to hear that from the culture around you, right? It doesn't fit the script, but make no mistake, there is no greater effort to invest your life in. Children, and that child is just an example. One example of of the overlooked, undervalued, and in need around our lives. And Jesus says, serving them is where it's at. So much so that he says he identifies so closely with these marginalized, overlooked people that he says, when you receive them, when you make space in your life to serve them, he says, you're actually not just serving them. You're doing so much more than that. You're serving him, Jesus, and, and not only him, but the heavenly father who sent him. That's That's amazing. Serving is so much more than what it seems. It's nothing less than an opportunity to encounter Jesus himself. Jesus is flipping the script. It's not about stature. It's about serving. And he's going to go on and flip the script from looking at people as adversaries to to looking for for allies. Let's keep reading. It says... uh, just, just to keep in mind this sit down that Jesus is having with his disciples it's kind of like setting the stage. Here are some of the core basic values that are going to shape the Christian life. This is how we live out the christian life the the posture, the attitude, the orientation and so John just uh mentions this incident to jesus hey hey jesus we we, we crossed paths with this fella and and he was doing stuff in your name." And he tells Jesus, we shut the guy down. The reason John gives is pretty revealing. He says he wasn't following us. There's this air of exclusivism in that statement. He says he wasn't a part of our team. He wasn't a part of our posse. And that means the guy's a threat. He has no place. And so what we see here already is the disciples at this infancy stage, they're already starting to size people up, put them in categories. There's, there's we and us and there's they and them. And we want to build our team to be as strong as it can be and we want to take care of any competition. <clears throat> any competition. That's, the, that's the script. Look at the world through the lens of threats and, and dangers In competition, excuse me, Um, everything is an either or proposition, right? If you are not with me, if you're not wearing the same jersey that I'm wearing, then you must be against me. And that makes you a problem to be solved, an adversary to be overcome. And that attitude, it has a way of infecting God's people. See, the disciples, they had this privileged position with, with Jesus and they use that position to, to presume the role of gatekeeper on Jesus' behalf without, without asking him if he needed that. In other words, are saying, we retain exclusive rights to the Jesus franchise, right? If anyone has any intentions of doing anything in his name, you are going to run it through us. And if you don't, we're going to come after you and shut you down those are like the seeds of, of bully tactics and they've sprung in the disciples' hearts. They've used their position to prop themselves up and to push others down. Force and coerce in the name of Jesus. That's how the world works and they figure that so long as it's, it's for the right cause, for the right team, then it's okay because, because the ends justify the means, Right? Wrong. John, John tells this, this to Jesus, and he's expecting fully that Jesus is going to affirm what he did. Good job. That a boy. But Jesus flips the script. According to the PBV, the Pastor Brian version, um, Jesus' response sounds something like this. Chill out. Right? Thank you for your efforts, but, but no Thanks. I appreciate your concern, but you have overstepped. And that's not necessary. That's not the way we're going to do things. And so Jesus flips the script from from seeing adversaries to to looking for allies. He says, anyone who's not against us is for us. See, in the disciples, it was the opposite. Anyone not, not for us is against us. But Jesus says, how about we turn that around anyone who's who is not against us is for us now now of course, that statement has to be read in context right it doesn 't apply to every situation we don 't build a whole theology around that one statement and 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 you you can see that in in matthew 's gospel um, Jesus actually says something almost the opposite he says Whoever's not for me is against me. There's, there's the me and there's the us, but there's a different context. But, but here, in this case, he's telling his disciples, set the default on making allies, not enemies. It's a very different way of going about life. Be about building bridges, not blowing them up. You know, there's, there's a tendency for, for Christ followers to be more narrow, rigid, and restrictive than Jesus is, and that's a problem. It was a problem back then, and it's a problem today. It only takes the tracest amounts of pride to convince ourselves that the way we do things, that's the only way to do things. And anything different from the way we do things around here, that gets assigned to a moral category. It's not just different, it's wrong, it's a problem. It's something that has to get dealt with uh, for some it's a matter of, of doctrinal precision. If you have not dotted every i and crossed every t in your doctrine, you are a problem and and I can relate to that one. that is the setting that I grew up in for others it's a particular form of worship or of ministry if if your worship experience is not expressive. If you're contemplative, then something's wrong with you. You don't have the spirit. We've got to fix you. We've got to solve that. For others, it can just be this insecurity and this jealousy that's underneath a, a religious mask. Um, I, I, I've i told some of you guys this story. You may have heard this before, but before we launched Lakeview Community Church, 20, Almost, almost 20 years ago, 18 years ago or so, uh, we had this whole strategy. We were gonna mail out 5,000 postcards all over the Carmel community before we opened up at uh, Carmel High School, uh, way back when. And, and, and leading up to that, we had so much collaborative uh, support from the churches in the area. But here's what happened the night before our first Sunday our first service, I got an email from a a certain pastor whose name I will not repeat this morning. He received a postcard as well, and he was writing this email to urge me to give up our efforts, to not move forward with what had to be an ill-conceived new church, because according to him, Carmel had plenty of churches there was no need for one more. And our efforts were not only not needed, according to him, they were intrusive. That, that we were trying to, to reap a harvest uh, where others had planted. He stole the verse from Paul, ripped it out of context, and used it against me. Um, and we're thinking like, yeah, Putnam County has about 100,000 people. Less than 5% of the population is attending a Bible-believing church on a regular basis, but according to him, no church is needed. Do I still sound bitter? <laughs> I hope not. I, I think I've worked through that, but that was a tough night, I got to tell you. Uh, I'm trying to get ready for the big day, and here I am firing back an email at someone I don't know, and Diane's like, let it go. <laughs> um, he ended his email urging us to pack our bags And move our efforts somewhere else. Uh, It's incredible how arrogance and jealousy can hide below the surface. And insecurity. And I will tell you this on behalf of pastors everywhere. Pastors are among the most insecure people you will meet. You may not think that because they stand on a stage and they deliver things in an authoritative way. Um, but having spent time with a lot of pastors over several years, there's a lot of insecure people. And that's something we can all relate to, right? Um, by the way, the rest of the story is that motivated me to, to never want to see that experience happen to anyone else again, at least as far as it pertains to me. So, so I, my commitment has always been to come alongside and support anyone who wants to do kingdom work? Because that's what it's about. And and Jesus invites his disciples here to view things, to look at life through a different lens. He explains it this way. He says, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to me will by no means lose his reward. And so if you can kind of like think of what that actually means and what it looks like, he's, he's saying this, guys, think about this, picture a time in the future When you're in need, you're thirsty, you have nothing to drink, you're depending on the kindness of others for the bare basics of survival, for a cup of water. Think about that. How can you treat people, others, who who may claim the name of Christ, but they're different from you in such a way that now you can do so, so that they'll be inclined to want to stop and help you out? when you're in a time of need. You see, shutting them down, that's probably not the best strategy. Um, I I, I do some running on the roads. I have a, a friend who does a lot of running, more than me. And he says, wherever he runs, he waves to every car, every single car. Sometimes the cars are beeping at him. They're yelling at him. He just smiles and waves because that car or the driver of that car is driving a 5,000-pound steel box on wheels that can crush him. And he knows that, and so he wants to make friends. (laughs) He wants to make allies, not enemies. It's a smart strategy. And Jesus is pointing out here this reality that we need all the allies that we can get. And so we, we can't assume to just be in the majority, like to have the weight of power behind us Christ followers, we can expect to be in the minority until Jesus returns. We're not going to have the power structures on our side. That's something that American believers we're we're learning in these past ten years or so. Right? You know, we used to just have the the weight of 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 public sentiment, of 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 the laws, of of just the over overall world view on our side. That's that's no longer the case. Live as though you'll be dependent on the kindness of others. Stop seeing adversaries everywhere you go and look around and find allies, build them up. So Jesus flips the script. He he flips it from stature to serving, from adversaries to allies, and, and lastly, he flips the script from, from indulgence to influence. Here's what he says. He says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone was hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame. Than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another all right, this is getting a little bit scary here. Uh, it's getting a little bit troublesome, and we're kind of like scratching our heads like, what are you getting at here, Jesus? Um, It's it's highlighting something, and, and let me start with this. What it's highlighting, first of all, is the reality that for good or for bad, the way that we live out our lives matters. It bleeds, it impacts. Like it or not, you are a role model, Uh We're all role models. None of us live isolated lives. We're all connected to people. We're all social beings. And and Jesus is just challenging this hedonistic script, the script that says just live it up, get all you can get, indulge in everything you're able to do. And he flips that to something better, something greater. He says give up that indulgence and instead live for influence, live for impact. And and, and yeah, it starts with a very strong warning. This is basically the same warning. If you're a dad and someone comes to the door and wants to date your daughter and take him out, you have this talk. Don't mess with her. Right? And and Jesus is saying, if anyone leads any of these impressionable little ones who believe in me to sin, it's not going to go well for you. Right? That's... That's something that Jesus takes personally. It's, yeah, it's almost a threat, isn't it? You mess with them and you're messing with me, these little ones, these impressionable lives. See, here's the thing. People, people are precious. We all know that. People are not commodities to be used and abused and thrown out so we can get what we want out of them. That is not a model for going about life. And then he goes on from there and he challenges his followers to take what can only be seen as take a radical approach to dealing with those things that cause you to sin. Have a no-tolerance policy towards it. Why? Because sin is never just a private issue. It's not just something you do on your own. It is going to not just impact you, it's going to impact others, the way we live out our lives. It's like when you throw that pebble in the water. And the circle reverberates out. That's true of all of our lives. And so he says, whatever it takes, understand this. It is better for you to take drastic action in the now than what the alternative looks like. Living out holiness, living out a life of obedience, it's gonna hurt right? It is not a pain-free way of going about life. And and yes, this teaching is hyperbole, right? He's not telling anyone to literally cut off body parts. Um, but what he is saying is take radical steps. Do not tolerate whatever it is. Don't put up with it. Don't compromise. And then he goes on and talks about this idea of salt, of being salted with fire. And, and what he's getting at is there's basically, there's there's two types of fire. There's There's the fire that refines our lives and brings out the best. And there's the fire that consumes our lives and destroys us, right? There's there's a fire, a burn, a pain that comes from self-denial. We all understand that. It hurts, it's painful. Jesus says, "Let let it happen. Let that pain come and it'll refine your life and bring out the best, he says the alternative, according to Jesus, is not, you don't have the option of a pain-free existence, right? We either get it in the now or we get it in the later. Um, and this self-indulgence is not a pain-free existence. That's, that's the lie. It only delays, and eventually the fire comes, but that fire is the fire that consumes. And, and yes, ultimately this is an image that's talking about eternal destinations, Um, but it's more than that. It's talking about an existence, about watching the long-term consequences of our compromise burn up our lives, burn up relationships, burn up all the things that matter, and burn up the people that we love and we care for. See, Jesus calls us to take sin seriously because sin is a serious thing. It's not just fun and games. It It kills, it steals, it destroys. So he says, stay salty, guys. This is the script. Stay salty. Live lives of holy distinction in this world. You're not going to fit in. Don't go along with the script. Be set apart by the way that we live our lives. Don't just just take on the world's script. And throughout this entire class, throughout this entire session, Jesus is Here's the amazing thing. He is modeling the very thing that he's asking his followers to do here. Right? He, he's the greatest. Disciples are sitting here arguing about who's the greatest when they are walking alongside the creator of everything. And he has come down, he's walking with them, and he's he's serving them. He's laying down his life for their sake. That's the road he calls us to take as well. That's the script he calls us to pick up. And so let me end and just to ask you this. There's a couple of different scripts we can follow in our lives. We are all following some kind of script. And let's, let's pick up the right script. Walk with Jesus and watch what happens. Lord.